Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we just move into Tuesday there, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. It's still a bit chilly outside. I'm ready for winter to vamoose. (laughs) Man, crazy. It'll be on its way out of here in about 12 to 16 hours. That's what it looks like. It'll probably be this warm tomorrow morning when you get up. Yeah. I've noticed that uh, some of my greenery around the house there was pushing out foliage. And it's a little droopy, a little sick looking now after the... Got a little out of her skis. Yeah. 20s moved through the area. Sunday evening, Saturday evening, and uh, that did a number on them. Out there in California and Los Angeles, they ain't going to school. School workers, a three-day strike. But they care so much about the children. It's all for the children. It's for the kids. (laughs) Three-day strike and no remote learning either. Totally out. Incredible. So, in the meantime, state of Mississippi, we are winding it down. That legislative session, where will it land? Lots of stuff going on there. And I think Betsy DeVos, former Secretary of Education under Donald Trump, in town speaking and is going to be on the program, calling in. Is it tomorrow or Thursday? Not sure. Can't remember. We talked about it. Looking forward to that conversation. And she's all about the education choice movement, which is taking hold across these United States. Governor Huckabee Sanders just signed into law sweeping education reform legislation. And... Pretty much allows the money attached to a child, a family, to follow that child wherever they want to go to school. It's just classic education choice. We've been pushing for this here in Mississippi for some time. We can't get it through. We're looking more and more purplish, seems like, if you think about 
some of those conservative movements that um, we're not participating in, such as education choice. That's an example. We've certainly done some work in that arena, but we got more to do. We did have rather significant tax reform last year, but we got more to do there. We can't seem to agree on a ballot initiative process. We got work to do there. We still got certificate of need laws that I think interfere with the market in health care. We have um, we just got some work to do. Now, I know the governor supports virtually all, if not all, of these issues from a conservative perspective, but we can't seem to get everybody on the same page, as they say. And that's the way the sausage is made. I'm certainly aware of that. But you'd like to see some progress in that arena. Uh Governor, the governor of Iowa, that would be Governor, see, what's her name? Kay Reynolds, I believe, says that... Kim Reynolds. Kim Reynolds, pardon me. That uh, there, there are factions of liberals who are upset that Iowa, her state, is becoming, quote, the Florida of the North... So Governor Ron DeSantis has got to be somewhat excited about the fact that his state is being held up as, I guess, the gold standard for conservatism. And they're mad that Governor Reynolds in Iowa says she's, quote, targeting the LGBTQ community. It's like every day. It's a woe is me from that group, is it not? And targeting means not giving special (laughs) preferential treatment. That's what targeting means. I believe, I certainly do, I think you do as well, I don't want to speak for you, that we believe consenting adults should be able to do whatever the heck they want. Don't care. I don't want... But that same freedom extends to other adults thinking it's weird or abhorrent. Of course. Sure. It's a free country. It works both ways. That's right. But thrusting radical gender ideology on kindergartens, that's over the line. But that's considered targeting. Oh, you're targeting. It's it's crazy. And there have been some really weird stories here that uh, I've noticed about teachers. What's up with these teachers? You saw the one where... Uh, this was a Minneapolis-St. Paul public school teacher said, quote, I have no respect for authority whatsoever and teaches her kids to essentially loathe capitalism. You know, that which gave her her job, made it possible. My students this year have no respect for authority, said the St. Paul district teacher. And I love that in in a per, I love that in a person because I have no respect for authority whatsoever. Oh, geez, she goes on again to recommend. So would she be okay if her students just had a little little mutiny? 
And they all decided, you know what? We're going to pull out our phones and play on our phones. We're not doing <laughs> class today. We don't like authority. You don't like authority. Yeah. Uh, works for me. Mandy Jung, her name, speaks out against capitalism, says education should focus on teaching kids nature. Huh? She recommends bringing in anti-capitalist messaging into the classrooms, such as a Marxist political cartoon which stated, Capitalism, we rule you, we fool you, we shoot at you, we eat for you. That may be the most blatant form of projection and gaslighting I've ever heard right there. Unbelievable. I'm looking at this cartoon, (laughs) and it's this sort of tiered depiction of uh, what the Marxist view is, the various socioeconomic levels established in capitalism. (laughs) And there's a picture of her in the middle of it. I don't get that. She says that it's not only... Education is not only to prepare students to enter the workforce, but to learn about nature. She um, said that studying classic cell biology, she's a science teacher. So you would study. I, I even recall that. It's like one of the first things you learn in science is basic cell biology. The parts of a cell and that sort of stuff. Quick, what's the power plant of the cell? The power plant? The nucleus? I don't know. The mitochondria. Oh, okay, that's right. I don't remember. It's like fifth grade when I learned all that stuff. I kind of left it behind then. I do remember the mitochondria, though. I will admit that. I just didn't remember that was... I think that was just a generational thing. Like, everybody my age learned the mitochondria is the power plant of the cell. It's like a verbatim thing everybody learned. (laughs) I had a biology teacher... I actually took advanced biology, which was an elective, like six kids in a class at my high school. Fantastic teacher, by the way. Mr. Awad was his name, James Awad. And this is kind of weird, but this I went to Catholic school. He was a self-proclaimed atheist, but one hell of a teacher. That's all that mattered. He respected them. They respected him. He taught. But, you know, you'd have the little test where you had to look under a microscope. Maybe you guys didn't do that. You had to, like, fill in the blanks as to what you were seeing under the microscope. He would point to whatever it was he wanted you to name by pulling a piece of his hair. (laughs) He'd put that under the slide, and he could make that, he could position that piece of hair perfectly on whatever it was you were looking at microscopically, where you'd have to name stuff. (laughs) Incredible. She said that studying cell biology is part of capitalist indoctrination. Please help me connect the dots. (laughs) When we come back, a Texas middle school. She did a little role playing. We got to tell you what that is. Dr. Jennifer Bryan at 1105 on middays. We're in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. Middays from the Element Wealth Studios. At 12.05 today, it's Joel and Natasha, hosts of America's Roundtable radio program and also co-founder of International Leaders Summit. We'll get an update from Joel and Natasha on the developments over in Russia, the Ukraine, the rather cozy relationship between Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. They're like trading praise for each other yesterday, weren't they? It was kind of kind of nauseating, honestly. So this seventh grade teacher says, you know, that's the year you learned that the, here you go, Rhino, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, cell and all the cell biology. So at the end of the unit, I ask students to take a test, test and one of the questions is, a person says the nucleus is the most important organelle. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. In the cell, like me, I said that. Do you agree or disagree, and why? And almost every child says, yes, I agree, because without a boss, the cell would be in total chaos. <laughs> Jung added, the student's responses cracks me up and went on to claim microscopic bacteria were the original anarchists. (laughs) I'm going to be cool and edgy like a bacteria. (laughs) Bacteria don't have a nucleus, and they are arguably one of the most successful classes of organisms on the planet. Bacteria out here being the original anarchists, right? No nucleus, no master, seize the means of metabolism. I don't know. It's funny to me. (laughs) That's who's teaching your kids. And, you know, didn't you make a comment a couple of weeks ago about the weird glasses that they all... (laughs) She's got them on. (laughs) They're like one and a half times the size of her head. It's the angry woke skull uniform. Oh, gosh. Power glasses, bangs, facial piercings. (laughs) Meanwhile, over in Texas, you wouldn't expect to see this in Texas, a teacher asks her middle school kids to role play, quote, as seducing hooker in a classroom game. So there's a mom that considered herself a woke liberal in favor of progressive causes, even sending her young daughter to a charter school that celebrates diversity, equity, and inclusion. But she's aghast now at watching her 13-year-old being asked to play the part of a seducing hooker. I picked my daughter up from school and her best friend, and my daughter said, We played this game at school, Mom, and you're going to be upset when she told me about the kids getting up in class and posing as hookers. I almost crashed the car. She being, of course, a proponent of diversity, equity, and inclusion. This happened in September. She pulled her daughter from the school and demanded an apology from administrators. By the way, this lady is a Latina from Puerto Rico found out the game was called Bear Hooker Hunter 
She went online, discovered it is an adult drinking game version of rock, paper, scissors. So the daughter and other seventh graders in the social-emotional learning class, that you knew it screwed up right there. They had to pair up and stand in front of the room. The kids were then told to strike poses, either as a hunter pointing an imaginary gun at each other, as a scary bear with its paws up, or a seducing hooker with a hand on one hip and another behind their ear. (laughs) The goal of the game was unclear, other than being some sort of team-building exercise. (laughs) The boys and girls were organized from youngest to oldest, with some allegedly bribed with candy to get them to play along. Unbelievable. My daughter was so grossed out and embarrassed. She said the boys and the teacher were laughing. Another girl in the class had been sexually assaulted, so the experience was especially cringy to her, of course. Why are we doing this in a classroom? It's the moral decay of society. And this is right out of the left's playbook. So, you see, if you said you opposed that, the next thing you know, you'd have activists saying, you're targeting us. Yeah, because this is inappropriate. What clear-thinking person thinks this is appropriate? Is that not... Could you, could you not connect the dots? It's like a form of... It's at least indentured servitude. Close to it. You're thinking about it, I can tell. Your, your gears are grinding. So the school said, <laughs> administrators, while we always chase excellence as a core value, that's just such crap right there. Sometimes we stumble. Stumble? (laughs) The principal had admitted, however, that the game Bear Hooker Hunter did not meet our bar of excellence. (laughs) Like, maybe if you're just reading it on the page, it's not that bad. But when you say it out loud, (laughs) who thought this was a good idea? Oh gosh. Uh this is a this is an academy, by the way. It's a private school. While we always chase excellence as our core value. No, you don't. That's such a lie. When we stumble, we own up to our mistakes, correct wrongs, and commit to do better. It is what we want for our little and big, it's Kip Academy, they call them Kip Sisters, Kip Kipsters, pardon me, at Kip Potter Academy. Kipsters, that's what they refer to them as. Oh my gosh. It is important that any game or activity we play shows care and respect for others. How do you think this game did or did not show care and respect for others? Oh, man. I'm just, I'm sickened by the moral decay in society. Why, Why is it drag queens are the only people that can read stories? I don't remember there being... 
so many storytelling events ever until the last year or so, when they're all storytelling events where the stories are read by drag queens. Shouldn't we have been reading stories if the true goal is to get kids to read, teach them how to read and comprehend? Is that only possible when the reader is a drag queen? Why does that got to be injected into it? I don't get it. I just don't get it. In the meantime, the Pentagon... (laughs) Have you seen this? The Pentagon has got a bunch of DEI jobs (laughs) advertised across the spectrum of military branches. They're all six figures. I told you, they're shakedowns. This is the biggest bogus scam. What the heck does that have to do with readying the troops to fight a war? That is what their job is in the hopes that by being so ready, we deter such conflicts. How does this help that? Isn't that what we should be doing is focused on confronting the threats abroad? This is just a culture war that essentially we're fomenting here at home. Six-figure incomes to serve in these DEI positions. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. text line, yeah. David in Indianola is asking the question that's been racking my brain the whole time. If it's like rock, paper, scissors, who wins, <laughs> the bear or the hooker? <laughs> I don't know. Because Hunter beats bear. Yeah. Who who wins in the hooker between Does hooker, hooker bear? Beat Hunter? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, I don't think I want to know it. <laughs> know the truth. A position listed within the Air Force under supervisory diversity, equity, and inclusion, and accessibility, would pay 183000 bucks. Unbelievable. We're stepping aside for a break right here. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios at 1105. Dr. Jennifer Bryan, stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, the Dow's up 2.30 at this moment. Who knows where it will close today. The Fed starts its meeting today. And it is uh, largely expected to raise its benchmark rate this week by 25 basis points. Elon Musk, however, 
He is suggesting that the Fed drop the rate by at least 50 basis points tomorrow. And that is um, in response to billionaire investor Bill Ackman, who is also calling for the Fed to drop the benchmark rate. Hmm. We'll see where that goes. It's a it's a quandary for Fed Chair Jerome Powell. You got the recent developments in the banking sector, but you got inflation, which still seems to be quite sticky. And I think Powell wants to go down, having his legacy be, I tamed inflation. And he's determined to do that with the only tools he really has. The primary tool, of course, is raising the benchmark Fed funds interest rate. And he's hoping, expecting, wanting folks to get knocked out of work. That's what he wants. I'll tell you what, he's getting his, his wish in some circles. Amazon announced yesterday... They're going to let 9,000 people go, mainly affecting their Amazon Web Services business unit, Twitch, advertising, and people in the, in the people experience division is what they call. That was a memo sent to all employees yesterday. CEO Andy Jassy cited, quote, the uncertain economy in which we reside and the uncertainty that exists in the future as the reasons the company is looking to let 9,000 people go. Now, what's interesting, we've discussed this before the program, is that Amazon Web Services is the only profitable business unit. The e-commerce portion of Amazon, which accounts for most of its revenue, 85 or so percent of the company's revenue, it loses money. Doesn't make money. The cash cow, the profit producer for the company, is Amazon Web Services. It's cloud services business unit. And it makes sense that Twitch would be on the chopping block because it saw insane growth over the, the lockdowns and the pandemic with people deciding, well, I can't go to work. I'll just start streaming. Yeah. And turning it into a bit of a business. But a lot of the people that saw success in 2020 and 2021 have fallen off when everybody went back to work. Yeah. Agree. Uh, so that no surprise there. And, I mean, it's not a huge part of the company's business, no. for sure. But, again, you know, all these companies, they're all about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and social justice, and all that stuff except when they ain't got no money coming in the way they did, and then they start putting on their business hats. Imagine that. And in this case, it means they got to shed expenses, and most of that comes in the form of layoffs. They just laid off, what, 18000 back in December or something, I think? Amazon did? It was a bunch. I thought Amazon was 10 Maybe it was 10 It was double digits. I do recall that. So, 
Yeah, I'm looking at 18,000. I think they announced 10, and then they think they had yeah. another round, as I recall. So, yeah, I'm looking at the um, official report here. The layoffs will mainly target the company's AWS cloud service advertising, its PXT division, and Twitch streaming platform. As you said, 18,000 positions already having been eliminated. This adds nine. So 27,000. Now, for perspective, they got, what, a million two employees or something like that globally. So it's a small number. But, you know, if you're the one getting laid off, it's a big number. It's a big deal. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, this is disturbing news to me, is discussing a strategy wherein the government would expand its guarantee of deposits beyond the $250,000 face value threshold. Somebody's got to pay for that. The member banks, of course, would, I believe, be required to increase their insurance premiums that they pay, essentially, their fees for this protection, this coverage. But what Yellen may be talking about is the old Democrat playbook, which is just print more money. That inflation thing won't be affected. That's transitory, of course. So that's kind of an interesting development. And I think what's powering markets this morning is that J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon He's, he's working with Yellen on a plan that would stabilize the troubled First Republic Bank, which was the next one uh, in line. It appears it's almost imminent they would fail. So First Republic Bank might get some sort of rescue from uh, Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan. We'll see where that goes. Of course, they came together, 11 banks did, for First Republic, uh, excuse me, for um, Signature last week. Wow. It's just a lot of stuff going on that's that's worth keeping an eye on in the banking industry. You already know about UBS coming in and sweeping in to um, take over. Credit Suisse over in Switzerland pretty much gives you one bank in Switzerland. And that's the concern here is that you're going to continue to see consolidation where smaller banks, regional banks, community banks, almost because of government regulation are somewhat compelled to step up and be acquired. And you're seeing a lot of deposits move out of a lot of the mid-sized banks right now into the four or five big banks, and that just makes them bigger, more powerful. Fewer consumer choices, although there are some economies of scale. There's no doubt about it to be achieved in those moves. Meanwhile, the Biden administration issued its first veto, the president did specifically, yesterday, This was a bipartisan bill that um, would have reversed 
a Labor Department rule. So once again, you see the, I think, the overreach of government at the agency level where the Labor Department steps in and issues a regulation on environmental, social, and governance investing, so-called ESG, which essentially gives a pass to money managers, allowing them to invest their clients' money, your money, your pensions, your 401ks, your wealth accounts. They can consider things like climate change and commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion at a company when they allocate your money. A.K.A. they'll put your money in something like SVB. Correct. And then you wake up and it's gone. So it's uh, amazing that this thing got vetoed by the president. So what happened is the bill passed, both the House and the Senate. It, It garnered bipartisan support that said, no, the Labor Department can't do that. The Labor Department should not interfere in that industry where wealth managers have a fiduciary responsibility, money managers do, to produce the greatest returns on their clients' investment. Not that you can get a pass if you don't manage money accordingly, as long as you're taking into consideration a company's commitment and efforts and investments in climate change and social justice activities. And that is uh, disturbing. The Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, said President Biden's first veto is against a bipartisan bill that protects retirement savings from political interference. Biden wants to dictate how your money is invested for these liberal woke causes. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studios after the break at the top of the hour. It's Dr. Jennifer Bryan. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. When the 11 banks got together with some money there, some funds to, it was uh, First Republic. They were trying to keep afloat. But what happened was it doesn't seem to be enough. So Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan has come forward with uh, an updated strategy in an attempt to rescue the troubled financial institution but, yeah, in the meantime, Joe Biden says that he wants to put politics over the value of your hard-earned retirement savings. And just so you'll know, 
this this bill would have restored a Trump rule that prohibited money managers from investing on the basis of these non-financial factors such as climate change and ESG. I've noticed that in the ESG acronym, the triumvirate there, environmental, social, governance, when you look at the failed Silicon Valley Bank, what clearly was missing was the G part, the governance. Oh, they had the environmental. They were all over that with all kinds of money going to stupid companies who were going to save the planet that had no chance of ever making a dime because they weren't producing anything anybody wanted. And they're all over the social, like, you know, the month-long LGBTQ celebrations and what did they give? Like $5 billion or something saying $75 million to BLM. $5 billion was an investment they made and um, it really in a bad company that was focused on climate change stuff. $75 million roughly to BLM. So they had that part covered. The governance, they failed miserably because... They installed a bunch of people in their board who have the primary and the principal responsibility for governance. That is what boards do. None of them were qualified, but they checked all the boxes. Next thing you know, they're bankrupt, effectively. And they sell for a song. And Biden... He vetoes this bipartisan bill. He's even got Joe Manchin mad at him over this one. But it's official. Non-pecuniary factors. That's what it is called, how it's described in the bill. That essentially means climate change, social justice, LGBTQ, and other left-wing policies that fall under the umbrella of ESG. That's how your money will be invested, or that certainly would allow money managers to invest. So my advice to you folks is don't invest your money with with, uh, money managers who are focused on ESG and not focused on producing the greatest return on your investment. That is an abdication of duty and a breach of fiduciary responsibility. It is a march to mediocrity. It kind of is fascism. You know, you hear the term sort of overused, abused. But this is government essentially not dictating. That'd be the next step, though. That'd be the next one. This is just a path to that. How private business should invest the hard-earned funds of their third-party clients. That's wrong, totally wrong. So check it out, folks. Make sure that, ask questions. If you work for a company and you've got a 401k plan, go ask them. Who manages our money? And do they manage this in a way that is designed to produce 
the greatest return on investment? Because when I retire, I want the most money. Now, maybe you don't. So I don't want to think for you. Maybe you're okay with, I'm okay with sacrificing some value in my 401k plan, my pension retirement savings. I'm okay with that as long as I'm helping the planet and DEI initiatives. If you're okay with that, then you don't need to go here. But if you're not okay with that and you want the most money returned on that investment, then go ask. Go ask your HR folks. Ask your owners. Ask whoever's in charge. Hey, does this money manager, are they looking out for our best interest with respect to the uh, the amount of return they generate? Are they looking for investments in that vein? Or are they looking for the most socially responsible and conscious companies? True. We are taking a break right here. We're at uh, the the Element Well Studios on middays. When we come back, we've got Dr. Jennifer Bryan. We'll talk about the state of health care in Mississippi. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Wealth Studios, it's midday. Super Talk Mississippi joining us now, Dr. Jennifer Bryan, the Mississippi Delegation Chair for the American Medical Association. Dr. Bryan, good to see you as always. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me back. You bet. So give us an update uh, from your perspective on uh, progress or lack thereof in uh, health care policy our legislature having been in session now for uh, the better part of two and a half months and about to wind it down, postpartum Medicaid extension legislation has been enacted, signed into law by the governor. I know that was something you felt very strongly about. So what are your thoughts at this point? You know, I think we had a a really successful um, session. You know, we always have pros and cons, but nobody goes into this thinking you're going to get everything you want every time. That's just not uh, the way this works. Um, we've got some e- excellent uh, initiatives that have gone forward. So we've seen you know, the, the progress there with TNF team and really um, the legislature came together there on getting the dangerous substance off the shelves in a meaningful way. And, um, you know, you look at the fentanyl testing strips, that's going to be a huge um, tool with our um overdose epidemic and what's going on with opioid crisis there. Of course, postpartum extension eligibility was um, a a huge interest of ours. Uh, With the the pro-life agenda, you know, the governor has definitely put forth that uh, that's a priority. And I really was proud of how the legislature and and the governor came together there and and showed that it truly is a priority. So um, a lot of thanks there goes out to our leaders. Um, we've got some pitfalls in the coming weeks as that, as you know, I think that's what we're going to talk about, um, was enacted. And then when that becomes reality on July 
July 1st and um, some things people need to know about. Yeah, and the other thing that's uh, going to be on us here in a couple of weeks, of course, is the unwinding of the Medicaid continuous enrollment provision, which mm-hmm. has been in place since three years ago, March of 2020. Yeah. Kaiser Family Foundation estimates as many as 20 million Americans could be removed from the Medicaid rolls. That's a little more than 20%. If you extrapolated uh, that and applied it in Mississippi, it's uh, 120,000 Mississippians. How how does that affect? It's true. How does that affect providers, hospitals, clinics, et cetera? What's, What's the downstream effect of that? You know, we're going to keep providing the care. Uh, it's just the paperwork and and uh, and the conversations there, the education piece, because so many people have difficulty um, you know, when this is going to be a learning process again. I think a lot of people were used to, you know, the eligibility coming up each year, but it's been several years now. There are a lot of people who've never gone through the process before. Um, but but Medicaid's been putting out, um, and Director Snyder, they've been putting out memos and really getting the information out, asking us to help educate other partners on getting people, you know, enrolled again or, or their eligibility updated. Yeah, or perhaps... Trans- so, yeah, I mean, it's a mess, but we work through it. <laughs> okay. Well, transitioning to, to other insurance, you and I have talked before about these recent mm-hmm. uh, changes made uh, in the subsidy structure of the marketplaces the affordable, under the Affordable right. Care Act. And uh, this seems like a, a place where uh, many could could land. Uh, the premium cost has been pushed down considerably after the Inflation Re- Reduction Act uh, made those provisions permanent that were ultimately, uh, I should say, initially implemented in the American Rescue Plan. So this is a, a possible landing uh, spot for those folks. I think I think moving forward there'll be you know there'll be changes. People will will look and see you know do they, are they eligible for a different type of coverage? I think the dates are most important at this point. I think what they're asking right now is um, you know go ahead and update your information because on March thirty first this process of continuous enrollment that's kind of been a protection that was in place. I know you're aware, but just for folks listening over the past few years where you didn't have to to reapply. So we're going back to our usual processes, which is as of April 1st, that that process is going to start. You can update your information now. And then after April 1st, begin that process of um, reapplying, you know, to, to, to see about the eligibility um, requirements. And then where that factors in with postpartum is the interesting piece, because there are people who are always on Medicaid or are, you know, on on and off of Medicaid um, as as needed, but they're used to the process. The postpartum piece between on May 11th, when the protected health crisis ends as a country, and July 1st, when when our postpartum eligibility extension goes into effect, that's kind of the gray zone. Um, have you looked at that? Um, I think that's the area that we've been, yeah. Um, I think the intent is to cover the women. I, I think that's a space where if you have a baby on June 30th versus July 1st, you're looking at two months of postpartum coverage versus 12. Right. And, um, you know, I think that's a, that group of people for those 40 some odd days, days from May 11th to July 1, that's going to be something that I know the governor and his staff and, and the folks at Medicaid, they're going to be looking at because 
I think the intent has been, as I said, to to cover uh, the women with postpartum extension eligibility. So I'm, I'm watching that closely and and uh, and hoping to hoping for some progress in that area. Gotcha. You know, Doctor Edney has uh, has has really been sounding the horn on. Uh, the, the financial difficulties of many of the hospitals in the state of Mississippi. Yes. And the legislature took a little action in, in coming up with an $80 million grant program, but that's honestly a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. What are you right. hearing from the hospitals out there? What what do you expect? So we've actually uh, just, just now looked at a reconvening a task force we ran through COVID that connects MSMA and MHA um, just to kind of really have our finger on the pulse of what they're experiencing. Certainly a lot of our members are in, in leadership there. And we communicate often with uh, the hospital association, but really we're getting um, a lot of angst, but we've been hearing that for quite some time. You know, where's the answer? What is the answer? We can't keep doing this. Um, you know, they, they talk a lot about Medicaid. We talk a lot about Medicaid. And I think those conversations are ongoing, but not just Mississippi. When you look around the country, hospitals are closing and they're downsizing services. Uh, the strain is very real. Just I was listening to you talking about the banking crisis. The fallout is very real. And I don't think there are any easy answers. And Medicaid is not the fix for everything. One suggestion that I and many others have uh, continue to talk about is the restrictions on physician-owned hospitals and really hopeful that there'll be um, some change there because we know that the cost is lower and the quality is higher. It's in the data. That has nothing to do with what's going on with state politics. That's a federal thing. But if we can get some traction there, that's at least part of this puzzle, I think. Yeah. Make, makes total sense. So Medicaid expansion, of course, uh, did did not make it uh, this year. That would uh, extend mm-hmm. coverage to the able-bodied adult population. Just doing a review of the cost of private coverage, it's out of sight. And I just wonder if we're going to see with inflation hitting uh, Americans' pocketbooks, and certainly here in Mississippi, no exception, if we're going to start seeing people just drop their coverage. They are. And uh, and I appreciated your shout-out to Dr. Edney because for people who don't know him, he's just such a wonderful, critical thinker. And, uh, and he's a good person, but he's also not rash to just, let's just fix it. You know, let's just let's throw Medicaid at it. I mean, these are real conversations that we are all having about um, families are struggling yeah. and how we do this and how thoughtfully we approach this with some of the the other issues we've talked about before in the past the, the other plans around how we look around and then how we rein in insurance premiums which are as you just said out of sight how we increase competition I don't have answers for all of that but it's all of it that's a problem families cannot afford the exorbitant prices of health insurance and yes they are going without coverage and when Dr. Edney and team are working to get patients off the bottom, the last thing we need is to lose health insurance and drive more people to Medicaid rolls. Yeah, or... Um, or just to go without, as Right, you even worse, that they'll have any coverage, but they still land in the hospitals mm-hmm. or in the clinics and they get care because you doctors are going to still treat them and you don't get That's paid. That's exactly what I was... Yeah. The charity care. Yeah. And that yeah. ultimately... It's, it's, it's such a... And then the hospital... Yeah, it gets it gets transferred to those of us who maintain our coverage and 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 pay for our medical bills. Ultimately, exactly. Eventually, our premiums go up, and it just goes around and around. So, 
hopefully we'll see more conversation. Appreciate you joining us this morning, Dr. Jennifer Bryan. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, as always. Coming back in the Element Well Studios. More to come on Midday. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. So on the ceasefire text line, that's six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. We were talking about Joe Biden's veto of the bill that uh, would have not allowed money managers to invest to be considered. It's really how it works, folks. Is that a money manager is responsible under our law? For adhering to what's called fiduciary responsibility just means that they put your financial interest top of the list in managing your money. They're compelled to do so. What Biden's Labor Department implemented was a regulation that essentially allowed, gave a pass to money managers if they invested their clients' money considering non-financial factors, not necessarily investing your money to produce the greatest return. As long as they're considering social justice and climate change, stuff like that. So the Congress passes a bill, gets through the House and the Senate, sent to Joe Biden and says, no, we don't want to allow that. Your Labor Department's out of line here. We've got to reverse this rule. We're going to do it through legislation. And Biden vetoes it. It's another example, Rhino, of how the bureaucratic agencies run the damn country. Not the people we elect. They just told, essentially just told them, take a hike. And the president, he took the side of his labor department, which is out of line here. Totally. Ray and Gluckstadt asks, can investors specifically ask that there be nothing invested in ESG with the expectation that their request will be honored? Well, to answer your question, Ray, yes, money managers work for you. Where it gets lost is when it's when you're part of these giant pension funds. If it's your individual accounts, And you go to them and say, look, I want you to invest my money when you have that meeting with them. And they will. And they'll sit down and you'll discuss your goals, your objectives, your appetite for risk. And you'll tell them, for example, I want to make sure that we maximize returns here. And there may be some nuances to that, whereas I need 
certain amount of my money to produce income. I need a certain, and then I need the rest of it to be kind of in low risk assets, and I'm and I'm okay with taking some risk with the rest. So you'll you'll figure out how to allocate your capital. But and, and any good money manager, they're going to work with you on that, and they will do what you tell them to do. Um, again, where you get lost in the shuffle is if you are a member of a big pension fund. And you don't have any control over the way that money's managed. That's where it becomes a problem. Take PERS. You don't make those calls. The PERS people do. The board, essentially, of PERS. And if that PERS board says, you know what, we got to make sure a certain amount of our money here, our members' money, you, the people who pay into it, and the taxpayers who are footing, actually more than the employee, the way the allocation of the percentage of income that goes to the purse fund works. And they say, you know what, we want to make sure that we carve out and allocate a certain amount of the fund to ESG-focused companies. may not produce the greatest return for those in the plan, in the program, but we're taking care of the planet, (laughs) as an example. Or we're we're only investing in companies whose boards are boards are diverse, meet our diversity goals. Like Silicon Valley Bank. Wow, great diverse board they had. Except it's bankrupt. Because they're out of their league. They knew nothing about banking. The march to mediocrity on full display. Nobody cares about that. When are they gonna wake up? I don't care what the race, the gender, the ethnicity, the sexual orientation is of the person flying the airplane. As an analogy, I just want them to take the thing off, fly it, and land safely. I think that reflects the views of the vast majority of Americans. Not some pilot that we just gave a pilot's license to to fly a 767 because they checked some diversity block on the form. I don't want that. Don't care about it. I think that reflects the views of most people. And in fact, any views counter to that are condoning discrimination. That's what that is. Reese in Clarksdale says, funny how socialism doesn't work without money. Great point, Reese. It's easy to be all virtuous and and noble and, and I guess, altruistic once the money's been made. Just cut the, recut the pie. No concern about growing the pie. Absolutely. He also asks, isn't Ackman a notorious short seller? I'm not really sure and don't really care. That's perfectly legal. If he's a short seller and he's able to attract folks into his fund whose assets he manages, good for him. Larry and McGee says, you mentioned earlier that a large part of Amazon loses money. Would you explain why and how that is? This is a good question, Larry. Yeah, I have... uh, extensively researched, spoken about this, presented about it. The Amazon e-commerce unit 
which is what we typically know Amazon for. I mean, most people would say, yeah, I know who Amazon is. That's the folks that sell stuff online. And you go to the app. It's real simple. It's a great experience, by the way. That's, I, I love going back and reading Jeff Bezos' vision about this. It, it literally was to make it so dang easy, so simple, and uh, to be so hassle-free. And it is. It's, it's quick. Is it not? You have to agree. Oh, yeah. It's very effective, very efficient, except they lose money at it. And you say, why do they do that, and how do they do it? Well, it's because it costs more to operate that business unit um, than the revenue they produce. I mean, and I'm not trying to um, avoid the question. It's just it's not an economically sound business model. So why do they do that? And lose three billion last quarter, by the way, folks, is what they they lost. Now, Amazon Web Services, by the way, made eight billion. The e-commerce unit lost three billion. And if you go back to the prior quarters, it's almost the same: two to three billion of losses in the e-commerce business, five to seven billion of profit in Amazon Web Services, which is, by the way, ten percent of their revenue. So, ninety percent of their revenue, they lose money, and ten percent of their, their revenue, they make money. And they're not terribly profitable overall. I mean, they're going to make $30, $35 billion this year on sales of $500 billion. That's not that great, honestly. Not that great. You contrast them to Apple. Apple's going to sell $350, $400 billion and make $100 billion. $100! Because we're addicted to their stuff. But you know what? It's pretty valuable. I challenge somebody to come up and say, you know, these, these Apple products, they're just not very valuable. They don't do a lot for me. No. Quite the contrary. We're addicted to it. We can't live without it. Can't imagine life before it. Steve Jobs' vision. It's his vision. 25, 30 years ago. I remember seeing a, a video, Rhino, I kid you not, where Jobs was talking about how technology could aid blind people. We're seeing it today. And he's sitting on a bench. This was back in the 90s. We were an Apple partner. This is how I got this video. And he's sitting on a bench, and he's portraying a blind person. He's got sunglasses on, dark glasses. He's got a newspaper in his hand. Can't read it, obviously. And that was the primary source of news back then. It was printed newspapers. And he's got a device on the bench, in a park, sitting next to him. And he places the paper on the device. He starts reading to him out loud. Yeah, that's the way it works. You could do that today, right? Oh, yeah. He was thinking about this in the 90s. Before there was a widespread Internet. Before there were smartphones. He was thinking about that. Yeah, nowadays, the Google Translate app, you can hold it up to a sign that's in a different language, and it'll translate it for you through the picture. There you go. And I'm only trying to say, this was a guy that was thinking about stuff way before the rest of us could. That's how he built the world's most valuable company. So I hope that answered your question, Larry. They, they just It's not a sound economic business model. On the other side of the break, I'll explain to you why I at least believe they're willing to lose money in that business for as long as they have, and they will continue to do so. We're coming right back on Middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studios. Talk. Talk. 
Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you in the Element Well Studios. It is middays. Yeah, so Larry uh, and McGee asked about why Amazon loses money in the business we know for, the e-commerce business. Uh, And they make all their money in the business that's sort of behind the scenes, Amazon Web Services. Uh, and they offer a, just a variety of very sophisticated services that would be considered so-called cloud services from their their data centers and their extremely large um, environment in terms of server and storage capacity and all sorts of tools that have just – it's been fascinating to watch how that industry has evolved. Rhino got it right. On the break, Larry, Rhino said, well, yeah, think about all the information on on all those people they have. Exactly right. And so that is now considered more valuable, perhaps, than anything. anything. Oh, yeah, that data has tremendous value. It's unbelievable. It's why. This is the thing that people don't get about social media. Why do you think all that's free? People say, well, I don't like this, that, and the other. It is free. You don't like that? Well, then they'd have to start charging you for it. Because without all that stuff you don't like, it ain't free. I just can't complain about free. But so what Amazon's doing is they're, as as part of this, you could almost call it an experiment. That's probably a little too strong. Maybe prototype. But if you think about the unbelievable myriad of technology and systems and processes that they have developed in creating this e-commerce environment, this e-commerce ecosystem. It is mind-boggling how they have pushed the envelope. When you think about the third-party sellers, the global customers, the logistics systems, it's incredible. Well, look at look at who was the king in that game before Amazon came around, and that would be Walmart, where corporate Walmart could tell you trends across the country based on data from sales at their stores. That's true. And the only limiting factor for them was the number of stores and the geographic locations. Well, with Amazon, they're having... They're getting even more data about your preferences and purchases, and they're being able to pinpoint it to your exact, well, I mean, maybe not exact location, but a lot closer and more precise than Walmart could ever dream of. So they have a much better understanding looking at the data of what's wanted or needed where, and because of that, they can be as efficient as possible, even though they're still losing money. That data has value. Absolutely true. So here's what's going to happen. They're going to leverage the data, the technology, the ecosystems, 
in future endeavors we can't even imagine today. We can't even dream of. I don't know what's next. But don't be surprised if you don't see them play in a wide range of industries. And all of this knowledge that they have learned, I'm not talking about just content like personal data. I mean the knowledge they've gained and the expertise in building this ecosystem will be leveraged for whatever those future endeavors are, that they'll make a fortune. I have sat on investor calls. You can do that. I mean, you can dial in, and you can't say anything, but you can be a a listener. You remember when Amazon was five, six years ago, maybe, when Bezos started talking about using drones for delivery? You haven't seen a lot about that lately. It's kind of died down. Well, I mean, they ran into hiccups with uh, the FCC right. initially. Wasn't totally thought through. Right. But but they were losing money in, across all business lines back then. They still had not started to make a profit. This is what the left doesn't get, by the way. It was years of forming up capital, of investing, Still losing money. Now they make money. And how many times have you heard Joe Biden say, they didn't pay any taxes? Because they're still writing off their losses, you fool. That's how it works. You don't let them do that. Then there are no Bezos building out Amazons. What I say they employ now, it's over a million, million two, something like that. Yeah, as of the end of last year, it had ballooned up to, I want to say, 1.5 Okay, there you go. 1.5 million jobs. He never talks about that. Always mad because they didn't pay any taxes because two things. One, they keep writing off their losses from all the years they operated at a loss. They apply those against future profit. Second thing is they're able to write off in the year of purchase all the massive amount of capital equipment they're buying to build out all these facilities. He doesn't like that. No, no. Can't do that. you got to pay some taxes. This sick. It's insane because they don't understand the ecosystem. But they're going to leverage all this. And when Bezos, I was sitting on one of these calls, and I remember one of the board members, because this is Bezos reporting to his board the quarterly resort results. And, the, and, of course, the market analysts are on those calls as well. And I remember one of them saying, you got to quit playing with drones and start making money. That's, I mean, I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, but it was something to that effect. And after that, you didn't see any drones. And now Bezos is a guy that likes to tinker, like like Musk. That's just the way inventors are. They're, they um, they kind of have a short attention span. And they do well when they surround themselves with, with taskmasters, if you understand what I'm saying there. People that take their idea and then implement it and nurse it through the process to fruition. It's a great combination when you have that that sort of human assets under the same roof. The visionary and the doer. Those two guys, they're visionaries. They surround themselves with doers. But after that, you saw that focus on the drone stuff drop off, and they started really propping up Amazon Web Services. They knew that's where they could start hitting and producing positive cash flow. And man, the next thing you know, at least in my industry, it became a household name, AWS, AWS. 
And then Microsoft's on their heels with Azure, which is a fantastic platform as well. Produces significant margin for Microsoft. But Microsoft was already a very profitable company, having been in the software business for a long time. But that's kind of the way that works. And it's that delayed gratification thing, isn't it? Can't have that. Oh, no. Got to make money tomorrow. Unbelievable. Wonder what Steve Jobs would think about artificial intelligence, scarier world saver. Uh, That's recent Clark's tale. Steve Jobs was was talking about and and tinkering around with artificial intelligence thirty years ago. Reese, I I remember. Uh, I mean, machine learning is what allowed that device on the park bench to read the newspaper to him. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, but that's been going on a while, and uh, he he knew, he understood, and he saw the power of that. I mean, it, it's we just have tools today that make it more practical for the average person to own. The chat GBT is an example, which is kind of borderline AI, honestly. Uh, but there, but there are lots of other examples, and. He, he would fully embrace and be pushing all those tools throughout all their platforms, I completely believe, Reese. He was just such a visionary, such an inventor, such an innovator. But I will say this, he, though he profited from all of his inventions, he was all about improving the quality of life. He understood how his God-given talents and skills could transform the world and he took a great satisfaction in that in a positive way, and he did. And so does Bezos. So does Musk. That's just the way innovators and inventors work. Now, would they do it were they, if they weren't financially rewarded? I doubt it. I, I think part of that is not so much they just love money as much as it is that it's kind of their trophy, if you will. That's how they ascend Maslow's hierarchy to the top rung of being self-actualized. They, they, they see that as the measurement of their success, which I think is, uh, is awesome. Amanda from Pike County says, have Amazon woes bled over into the delivery services because I've heard from FedEx employee that possible closures are looming. FedEx just blew it out, by the way, in their quarterly results and gave unbelievably upbeat guidance on the future. No, I don't think so. Um, And haven't heard about any closures, if you're talking about Amazon per se, Amanda. In fact, one thing I did find out this morning, the facility here in Madison County expected to employ 1,000. They've got 3,100. 3,100, I found out that this morning uh, in December. Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. means middays with gerard gibbert we'll do it live on super talk mississippi welcome back my friends to the show that never ends we're so glad you could attend come inside come inside there behind the glass 
Well, that's probably the second most popular tune by ELMP, you think? Because Lucky Man, everybody knows that one. It lasts about, what, four or five hours? It's right up there within a God of Davida. <laughs> On the ceasefire text line, scary thing is airlines are reducing standards to fill quotas for pilots, diversity quotas. And it's, it's not just airlines. And that's what I call the march to mediocrity. Is there an industry that isn't doing this? I'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find one these days. Professional athletics. You're right. You're you're right. Probably the least diverse, if you think about it, because everybody's big, strong, and gifted athletically. That ain't right, is it? That's not fair. We got to have some slow, short, fat, uncoordinated people. Where's my representation? <laughs> I need representation. <laughs> Oh, it's so true. I want to see myself on the hockey rink. <laughs> oh, I'd pay to see that, by the way. <laughs> I can't skate worth a flip. <laughs> I've tried. It hurts when you fall, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that ice is not very forgiving. Uh, a shout-out to my son. Uh, it's birthday today. Happy birthday. Happy Nick, birthday. Nick Gibbert. Yep. Hope he's listening. He might be. But uh, it is his birthday, and uh, got a little place. He loves to play golf now. He kind of converted his baseball career to to golf. He he's getting better. Hang hit it. He's got the classic baseball to golf transition where you're trying to not hit it out of the park when you're a four hole hitter, and it's like, well, you just swing out of your shoes to hit it out of the park. And you kind of can't do that playing golf. But he's he is coming along quite nicely. So uh, the plan, his mother and I, were buying him a new three-wood. That's what he wants ah. for his birthday. Yeah, looking forward to that. Gary Neberg says, a legislator in Texas has actually introduced a bill that rewards marriage in two-parent families having children. Was in the news a week or two ago. Imagine that. Reward that which actually works. What a novel idea. With the highest out of wedlock in the nation, where are our legislators? Gary, you know I'm with you, and I know you, you talk about this a lot. Um, I, I, as well, have been calling attention to this for, gosh, well over 10 years, because you're right. We have, I think we still do, the highest out of wedlock birth rate in the nation, we're either one or two in teenage pregnancies, and all of those, I totally agree with you, Gary, contribute to all sorts of other downstream societal problems. Again, we, we, um, we, we pass on that as statistical fact. We're not making that up. Numerous, numerous studies and analyses have been done proving that to be the case. The dissolution of the traditional family and, honestly, the diminishing of its value and importance to society, I do believe is a major, if not the root cause, of most of our societal problems, whether it's crime or drugs or 
or um, economic challenges, welfare, etc., urban blight, not saying, again, that it's not possible for a child born to a teenager or a child that is reared in a single-parent home. Absolutely, they can develop into successful, productive adults. It's just the odds are against them. Statistically, it's more difficult. And we have to acknowledge that. Where are our legislators in general, Gary, that's not something they want to talk about politically? But we could make, of course, the uh, the same argument with respect to uh, federal representatives. And this is something that should transcend the political spectrum. This is not unique to any particular party. It's just a fact that should be considered. In, in lawmaking, and I'd like to see some attention focused on that as well. What the government can do specifically from a policy and law perspective, I don't know. But what they could do is convene some smart people that focus on this sort of stuff, that uh, represent all the factions, all the stakeholders, all the corners of society to discuss how this issue could be addressed and at a minimum improved. I'm with you on that. Moe says, laugh out loud, make all NFL punters overweight and over 60. Also says, you would think the Democrats and Republicans could unite to override Biden's veto. Anything less is advocating, it should be advocating their responsibility to make the laws. Yeah, the numbers aren't there for that, Moe. takes two-thirds in both chambers. And uh, that's unfortunately, again, not going to happen. 52-46 in the Senate. Coming right back. Stay with us. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of middays live from the Element Well Studios. We've got Joel and Natasha from America's Roundtable Radio Program, also co-founders of International Leaders Summit. Joel and Natasha, good to see you guys. How's it going today? All right, we're trying to get your uh, your audio going there, uh, Rhino. We we um, having a hard time hearing you. What you think, Rhino? Working on that. All right. Might have to call in. You think, Rhino? All right. I see him in there pushing the buttons. We're gonna get him back and. Uh, Talk about what's going on in Ukraine, Russia, the rather cozy relationship between China's Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. 
a bit scary. I think all this enabled by the failure of our president. It all started with the Afghanistan debacle. And now we got an arrest warrant out from the International Criminal Court, the ICC, uh, issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin a few days ago. I'm not exactly sure where all that lands and what that will ultimately mean, but the Chinese public not really buying Beijing's advertised very rosy, cordial view of the the uh, Xi-Putin meeting, especially after this arrest warrant was issued. Where's the president on all this stuff? I'm not seeing much from, th- from him, but it's a little scary to see this sign of solidarity, this alliance between Xi Jinping and, and Vladimir Putin. All right, we got uh, Joel and Natasha back. Absolutely. We can hear you loud and clear on this side here. All right. Good deal. So we were just kind of level setting for us, uh, for our audience here, this uh, series of events we've seen unfold with respect to Russia, Ukraine, and then China, this kind of unholy alliance uh, that seems to be bubbling up and evolving between China and Russia, their two respective leaders. They... um, they showered each other with compliments, it seemed, over the uh, at their meeting over the weekend. And our president seems to be nowhere to be found on this deal. And then you got the situation bubbling up in the Balkans as well. So help us understand all this and and unravel, unpack it for us. Yes, it certainly is very disconcerting when you see the leaders of China and Russia gathering for a major summit, uh, standing uh, next to each other, proclaiming their uh, partnership on strategic issues. And at a time when the ICC, the International Criminal Court, uh, basically issued a warrant on war crimes, uh, basically against uh, President Vladimir Putin. Uh, So the timing is certainly uh, to posture uh, and to strengthen the image of uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, but it's also very disconcerting for us, uh, for us in the West uh, to see that uh, China is actually strengthening its ties uh, with, um, uh, with Russia and also its dependency on its resources such as oil, coal, and natural gas. Uh, so there is an interdependency going on there, uh, and it's dangerous for the West to see this taking place uh, at this stage here. Yeah, it, where, so where's the president? Has he made any statements, or has our State Department, uh, Natasha, have they made any statements on this, of which you're aware, and how concerned should we be about this? Right. I mean, we should be concerned, because, uh, you know, this alliance of two authoritarian regimes that do not respect the rule of law, they don't respect human rights, are actually colluding against the West. Uh, so we have this, uh, as we would say, that it's shifting, the world, the world order is shifting from the Western democracies that protect property rights, human rights, and the rule of law to authoritarian regimes. 
and they will have they have been very active in taking over and uh, leaderships of governments, corrupt governments or, of other countries. So basically, we've seen them very much a presence, their presence in the Balkans. We have been warning our legislators about it because uh, uh, for perhaps 15 or 20 years, uh, Russians are ex- increasing their presence in the industry, in the banking industry, in infrastructure, together with Chinese, actually. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's a, there was a bridge that was built in, in Croatia, some $400 million worth bridge to nowhere, which wasn't supposed to be built because it really doesn't have any economic rationale, but it was funded by the EU funding. So EU taxpayers pay China's state-owned <laughs> company to build a bridge to nowhere. And people are not making big, you know, big, big deal about it. So this was done like one or two years ago, completed project. So there's so much of geopolitical, uh, you know, interest of certain individuals, certain countries, corrupt regimes, which are all kind of coming to be obvious in the Balkans, for example, in some of the Eastern Europe. So Russians and Chinese are present through banking, through oil industry, through their interest in infrastructure, mainly ports. So any kind of, uh, you know, projects that are crucial for moving goods for even, you know, certain, let's say, ports, are also known for organized crime networks that are using the ports to bring drugs from Latin America, where this another threat, which is actually superseding other threats for America, fentanyl coming. 90% of fentanyl in the United States is coming from China. So China is using also now European ports to take over certain trades, and meaning it's, it's very complicated. It's, it's simple to understand, but it's very complex to address it because you have to really have a political will and the means and persuasion to actually convince these countries and governments to, to do things differently. So what about this presence, uh, Joel, of Russia uh, in the Balkans? How concerned should we be about that? What does that mean to the EU, to the United States? The president of Russia has been involved in the Balkans for some time now. Uh, they have been certainly backing Serbia on a number of uh, initiatives, both in investments. Uh, but over the years, we have seen significant number of oligarchs investing in places like Croatia on the Adriatic coast, in places like Rijeka, Opatia, Dubrovnik. Uh, so all these villas on the islands are certainly the funds are coming from these oligarchs, and they are connected to Vladimir Putin. Yet, These countries, like Croatia, which is a NATO member, keep that in mind, they're a NATO member, supposedly to be on our side, are not doing anything to address this issue. Hmm. And uh, and China moving in as well. So you see, you know, these very corrupt countries that are part of NATO today, which should really raise greater concerns for all our U.S. senators and members of Congress, that we are colluding with some of these very corrupt regimes that are now in NATO. And to just ask the position, if what you're asking, asked us, is uh, what is Biden administration doing? So basically, when you compare it to uh, Trump's administration, Pompeo was in the forefront, actually, working with these countries and prohibiting them, or actually, you know, putting a leverage. Do not engage Huawei, for example, communication company that was really taking over telecommunication markets of these countries. So basically, NATO countries would have 
Chinese company control basically telecommunication infrastructure. So Pompeo and Trump's administration was on top of it. And they dissuaded and really successfully dissuaded some of these countries to reject certain Chinese state-owned companies from entering, you know, very strategic markets. But at this stage, we don't see anyone doing anything from the, you know, Biden administration in the Balkans and Eastern Europe. We, we're up against a break, but um, and we can have you guys back if you can stay through the break. But before we go, I'm going to ask you this question and let you, let you think about it. Is to what extent do you think what unfolded in Afghanistan with our exit, America's exit from that country, to what extent do you think that emboldened Putin is emboldening China and our most ardent foes to sort of join up in the case of Putin to invade a sovereign nation and start claiming territory? Think about that on the break and, and on the other side of it. Uh, we'll get your thoughts on that. We've got uh, Joel and Natasha from the International Leaders Summit, also host of America's Roundtable radio program. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Johnny was a schoolboy when he heard his first Beatles song. Love me do, I think it wasn't from there, it didn't take him long. Got himself a guitar, used to play every night. We're back with Joel and Natasha, host and co-host of America's uh, Roundtable radio program, co-founders, International Leaders Summit. So before we went to break, I asked you guys the question as to how much you think Joe Biden's really, I think by all accounts, you'd have to score it as a failure in the way this country exited its presence in Afghanistan, how how much did that figure into ultimately Putin's invasion of Ukraine and what seems to be an ever more cozy relationship between Russia and China? Gerard, you are absolutely right. In regard to what happened in Afghanistan, that was a signal to both China and Russia portraying and projecting American weakness. Uh, when we saw that airport in Kabul been run by the Taliban and taken over by the Taliban within minutes uh, of what had transpired as the withdrawal, the uh, truly chaotic withdrawal that cost the lives of a great many U.S. servicemen and women. Uh, We have to remember that presented a very dark picture of America's withdrawal from a conflict um, that should have actually ended up differently, uh, but also Uh, We have to keep in mind that there were a series of events even prior to Afghanistan that presented and projected weakness. When uh, the Biden administration actually did a 180-degree turn from what the Trump administration did, which was to stop Nord Stream 2, Uh, we have to keep in mind that the Trump administration 
put a halt to Nord Stream 2. When the Biden administration came into power, they actually released it. And so that was giving the wrong signals and actually emboldening Putin. So yeah. here we're cutting back on our natural resources and our energy production and therefore creating greater dependency for Europe uh, to be dependent upon Russia. So on every step of the way, the Biden administration actually, um, in a sense, uh, gave way to what we see today, the debacle, not just only in Ukraine, but in other parts of the world. And from day one, this president ha- has really uh, attacked the uh, the oil and gas, the fossil fuels industry in this country, which, of course, has led to a, a constraint of supply and an increase in the price of oil, which is playing into Russia's hands. It is essentially their source of income to finance uh, uh, their war efforts. That's right. I mean, they are financing their war efforts to the gas they deliver to us, to us, to America and to Europe. And they did it so strategically. Basically, they started building this Nord Stream pipeline knowing that the, that the earlier pipeline went to Ukraine. So if they could diversify the, you know, the transport of oil, they don't need Ukraine and they can attack it. So, I mean, it's, it's, Russia has been thinking about this for a longer time. And this change of administration played into Russian hands. So, you know, with us, you know, really reducing fossil fuel exploration and consumption, as you said, we, we let them, we let them get higher price for the oil, which, with which they're funding uh, the, yeah. the war effort. Yeah. So it is, yeah. So and Please. another thing that we also, uh, you know, to, to think about how Russia actually is growing in influence. They've, they've been, as I said, in the Balkans. They purchased, they actually laundered money to the largest food manufacturer and, and grocery chain in the entire Balkans, which mm. they then took over. So before the war, they were owning some 50 plus, 50% plus of this largest food chain with water sources in the Balkans. Having such an influence, so basically, they, these, these assets were frozen in the meantime, but there were attempts to cash in on that assets recently. It was stopped for now. But we see them coming through the you know, building infrastructure, Russians and Chinese, and it's dangerous. So we have to, we have to be more involved. What do you think uh, is the, the pr- prevailing attitude of the Russian citizens uh, vis-a-vis the, this war? Do they support it? Did they support Putin? Do you think they're being told the truth? Are they behind this? Right. So that's, I think you, you have those that are, you know, close to the regime that support it. Then you have probably average, you know, individuals on the, on the streets that are smart and aware and see how media propaganda is working. Uh, to to portray this as a rescue operation, they didn't. They weren't even supposed to call, be calling it a war. People that called it a war were sometimes arrested and put in jail. Mm. So it's actually it's an authoritarian regime. People are afraid to say the truth. But I do believe that the you know, majority of, of of people that are educated and not part of the regime understand what's going on. But it's very hard to go against the regime, which is such you know authoritarian. And, you know, you, it's a risk. You can end up in jail. You can get murdered in Russia, basically. 
Un- unbelievable. Joe, what about uh, all the stuff going on in, in Washington? Seems to get crazier by the day. I know you guys talk about this uh, on your show, but we've been discussing Joe Biden's veto of this legislation that, that passed on a bipartisan basis that would essentially require money managers to do what they're supposed to be doing, which is managing money to produce maximum returns for uh, the funds invested by their clients. And Joe Biden says that, in in effect, by his veto, he's protecting their investments. Because if their money's being invested in companies that aren't so focused on climate change and social justice matters, they're at risk of uh, not being profitable or even not existing. Right. I mean, that's, that's bad. Because, you know, our, our system is based on, 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 on profitability. So bringing the maximum value to the shareholders. And that's how the entire system operates. And that's the, that's how we have capitalism and, and the freedom, basically, and the rule of law. It's all, it's all intertwined. Right. And so it's, it's a very bad, bad move. And we actually covered that on a radio program that, uh, you know, one of the companies, which was BlackRock and the, the, the former congressman Dave Brad actually pointed out to the fact they are the largest, uh, largest retirement account manager basically in the country right. and some and they have the first access to china which is the first ever company to be able to operate as a, a you know self-owned subsidiary until now they should have had that you know chinese partner first time they're coming as an american company with all these retirement accounts to be able to invest there and when we talk about the you know the 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 the, the, the uh, basically the criteria yeah. of of the clean energy you know are they are they really playing by the same principles in america as are in china mm, that's i mean good point. china being polluter i mean there's no common sense there's no logic there's so much bad going on you don't know where to start just feels like that he is absolutely being controlled by the uh, the radical far left of his party in in every policy making decision Right. Yeah. Now, there, there, there really ought to be greater accountability and uh, engagement by citizens. So when a citizen taxpayer looks at Washington, they say, well, you know, we'll leave that to members of Congress. We'll leave that to senators to address that. But I would really like to share this with your listeners, with uh, those that are really engaged citizens, is the fact that America's national debt in just some seven years will be nearly $50 trillion. And that debt, if we place that on each individual taxpayer, amounts to $287,000. Right. That's a debt that every taxpayer carries. So we cannot continue this. This is unsustainable at every level, from the debt and deficits issue, uh, from the manner in which the Federal Reserve is intervening in our economy uh, by pumping so much money and now raising rates. Uh, in, in such a uh, manner uh, that had, has really affected a great number of banks in this country. So this banking crisis, inflation, you know, it stems coming out from the Federal Reserve Bank and, of course, the mismanagement of some of these larger regional banks as well. But as you pointed out earlier, Gerard, is the fact that the left, the progressive far left, with its uh, green agenda, and you look at SBB Bank's um, uh, deposits and where they came from as well. 
that is also another concern that we have uh, raised as well on America's Roundtable. Mm. And another point probably mentioned earlier, we haven't uh, heard it, uh, you know, from you, but, you know, it, it, there's that obviously evidence that uh, Biden's family received some $3 million from yeah. China state-owned company. So when you think, is China, what is what are they saying? What is the administration saying to China in all these cases? I mean, how could they? Totally compromised. Totally compromised. It's ridiculous. Can't can't be objective in your policy making when you're compromised by our most ardent foe, in my view. Joel and Natasha, good to talk to you guys. Uh, appreciate you joining us today on Middays. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you very much. much. And tune in on Saturday morning at 7.30 on Super Talk Mississippi. We have a special guest, your next billionaire this Saturday. Sounds great. We're coming right back with more here from the Element Well Studios. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. Okay, up at the uh, Iowa State University. That's the Cyclones, right? Mm, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Iowa is the Hawkeyes. Yeah, that's it. Iowa State Cyclones. I get those two confused. Yeah. Well. It's the Hawkeyes that do the hospital wave. That's right, because the, the hospital, I think it's a children's hospital. Oh, yeah. Right, is, uh, like shares the stadium wall there. Hands down, the coolest new tradition. I say new; it's been around for a while now. But in the in the scheme of college football, it's a relatively new tradition, and it's hands down the coolest. I agree; it is pretty neat, and the children are able to see the game from their rooms. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, really cool. Well, over there at Iowa State University, female minorities will have an opportunity next month to learn from one another and create new friendships away from their white peers. So it's exclusionary. One might even use the word segregated. (laughs) Discriminatory. The name of the retreat. You ready for this? No, you're not. I don't think I am. I can't even pronounce it. Womxn, W-O-M-X-N, of color, C-O-L-O-U-R, <laughs> retreat. It's a one-day event open to all women of color students on campus. That, according to the Iowa State Daily, the student newspaper. So you've got the... <laughs> Purposefully incorrect spelling of women so that it excludes the word men. Correct. And then you have the King's English spelling of color? That's exactly what I thought about. I guess. 
It's a described as a signature program supported by the Margaret Sloss Center for Women and Gender Equity in partnership with the Office for Multicultural Student Affairs. They love titles, don't they? Oh, yeah. Well, they love self-importance, so it's, it's, it's just a bill. <laughs> right. The Womixen of Color Network Student Organization, as well as other campus advocates, student groups, and departments. That, according to the university website, the Women's Center and Diversity Office offer other opportunities for minority female students to get to know each other in a segregated environment. They even admitted it. You called it. For example, this fall, students can take advantage of a meet-and-greet reception for women of color. No non-colored women allowed, I guess. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So the person who formed this, uh, it was a small group of uh, women of color who formed this back in 2011, but they want no whites allowed, a no hyphen whites hyphen event uh, allowed to, for students to grow in, quote, love and compassion. We want to provide our participants with a moment to breathe, surrounded by love, compassion, and motivation. It's a great introduction into the network and gives a preview of what it's like at our meetings and events. So it appears that this isn't the only racially segregated event Coming up on college campuses, for example, the University of Minnesota's Diversity Office and Fitness Center are offering a class this weekend open only to, quote, students of color. And then there is an event coming up also called a BIPOC Community Climb Day, according to an Instagram post by the Diversity Center. The University Diversity Center hosted a separate climbing event last year for, quote, women, femmes, and non-binary individuals who want to get involved with climbing. Huh? Why do they want to climb? What's that all about? I mean, I hear it's good exercise. <laughs> but then again, exercise means you're you're putting goals off into the distance and working towards them. I think they have a name for that. What's that? But they call it racist. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> that delayed gratification. I you can't have that. You pump iron and all of a sudden, boom, I'm Hulk Hogan. <laughs> That's right. Well, there you go. It's just every day. It's something else crazier. Our That's college still not campus. as crazy as Ohio State. Have you seen the number of DEI employees on campus at Ohio State? No, but I did report a couple of weeks ago that the similar organization at the University of Michigan has more employees than the history department. But please share with us what's happening at OSU. The Ohio State University currently employs 132 DEI associates. 
It's triple digits. That's 132. What do they do? A whole lot of belly aching. <laughs> what do you think the odds are that they're practicing the DEI which they promote? I wonder. I mean, do they have all these various genders represented? Because you need more than 132. I, 132! 132. What are the odds are the average pays about 200 grand a year? I don't know if average would be that high, but yeah, it's it's going to be a hefty fee. I bet it's north of six figures on average. Probably. <laughs> and yet that still might not be the zaniest story to come out of the world of academia. Oh, please. Over in Europe... The University of Helsinki has decided in their yearly tradition of handing out honorary doctorates, they're giving none other than Greta Thunberg (laughs) an honorary doctorate of theology. (laughs) That noted theologian. (laughs) Oh, it's... I mean, she is kind of the head of the the climate cult slash church. That's true. They have their own dogmatic principles. They have their own ways of expressing themselves. <laughs> Tom and Carthage says, be a lot easier if they just called it the She-Woman-Man-Haters Club. <laughs> have we got a minute to play what happened yesterday with the White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre? She got called out by a member of the press. This is not China, this is not Russia, this is the United States, this is the White House. It's been seven months. I sent you seven months. You've been arrested, Mr. Kirtou, pal. It's been seven months. You guys have not done anything for me. If you have grievances, you should bring them to her later. I have done that. I have done that. All my emails have been ignored. And the press corps is tired of dealing with this. It is about you, Simon. Sometimes you get questioned all the time, and you don't decide what it is to sit here for eight months and be discriminated against. Don't make assumptions about what the rest of us do. Mind your manners when you're in here. If you have a problem, you bring it up afterwards. But you are impinging on everybody in here who's only trying to do their job. What has just occurred this last 10, 15 minutes is unacceptable. It's concru- it, it is unacceptable. So we're gonna. So we're either going to continue the briefing. Or we can just end the briefing right here. No. Okay. Well, then, let's go. No. The way you have handled your duty, your job, is what's unacceptable. I don't think this guy is being untruthful. And they didn't say he was. By the way, this is Simon. He may pronounce it Simone. I'm not sure. Atiba. He runs the website Today News Africa. He says, you heard him, he doesn't ever get acknowledged. He never gets called on. You only call on the people in the front. And that was other reporters defending her and admonishing him. That's what was really disgusting. Where were the calls for decorum when the Playboy reporter just showed up to shout? That's true. So... He's had some spars with Jean-Pierre and her predecessor, Jen Psaki. He says he, that he gets ignored. He also claims, and they didn't deny it, that he's met with them independently, Say, when are you going to call on me? He also said, I don't know if you made it out there, that, and it may not be in that clip, Rhino, but he said, you're not calling on me 
you know, I tell you what, it was an interview I saw uh, last night. He says, they don't call on me because I'm black and I'm poor. That's what he said. That's what he claims. You know, from the administration that maintains it's diverse and equitable and inclusive, they exclude this guy. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said anything. Coming right back, final segment. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Southern Rock by Leonard Skinner bumping us into this final segment of Middays on the ceasefire text line. We were talking earlier about some of this nonsense happening in schools, elementary, middle schools. We discussed the situation where a teacher played a game modeled after rock, rock, paper, scissors, or is it rock, scissors, paper? Does it matter? I don't think it matters. And the game was, what was it? Hunter? Hunter, Hooker, Bear? Or Hunter, Bear, Hooker, Hooker, Bear, Hunter. something like that. Yeah, essentially, you if you lost the bet, or well, you made a one. I don't know what this crazy teacher thinks. but Well, from what I could find out, the, apparently the game is played by, instead of using your hand to make a rock, paper, or scissors yep. facsimile, you pose ah, like the person. I got you. So you have the count, one, two, three, and then pose. So you pose like the hunter, or you pose like the bear, or you pose like the hooker. The hooker. Okay. Nice. So um, Casey sent us in a text, said, What teachers in our state have to realize is their retirement program is invested in the free capital market. It depends on capitalism to succeed. Absolutely. Talking about Biden vetoing this this legislation that would have required money majors of uh, money managers, pardon me, of um, pension funds, for example, to invest with their intention and objective being to produce the greatest return on the investment in those funds. But also sent some photos of books in libraries in our state. I'm a little shocked. This is inappropriate content, I would say. Some of the text highlighted, his body felt great in my mouth, is one of the statements in this book. This is in libraries in Mississippi. This is disgusting. Another one, queer, the ultimate LGBTQ. I can't see the rest of the title. A guide for teens, the ultimate LGBT guide for teens. Interesting. So, lots of crazy stuff going on in our schools that we should be concerned about. And I, and I know often we think this stuff is just happening elsewhere, doesn't happen in our state. 
But I just don't think we know. And these libraries are jammed with lots of books, and I'm not sure how the decisions get made as to what books are included in the libraries, but it's it's crazy. This is crazy to me. All Boys Aren't Blue, I think is this book that has these inappropriate passages in it, in my view. Wow. Mm. Keep on it, Casey, and let us know about that stuff so we can report it. Mo says, but Gerard, the administration is diverse. Biden said that 50% of the women in his in his administration were women. That's right, he did. 50% of the women in my administration are women. That is what he said. Nothing gets by that guy. Wow. Puppet reporters up front, says Carol in Starkville. Well... That's according to Mr. Atiba. He says he's been ignored. And, of course, his colleagues, the other reporters, say he's disruptive. Well, maybe he's disruptive because he never gets acknowledged, never gets recognized. They must either be new to their post or they were asleep for the entirety of the Trump administration. Very true. Good point. That's why I laugh when they scream, decorum! And she left yesterday disgusted. Unacceptable decorum. He says he believes he faces discrimination due to his accent. He says, I sound different. I wasn't born here. I was born in Cameroon. I don't have the American accent. I've tried. I've failed. Wow. So at a minimum, right, according... But to their standards, we got to hear this guy out. You got to believe it. That may or may not be accurate, but it doesn't matter because he's a minority and we got to take it at face value. True. Unbelievable. Once we start banning books, who gets to decide what's banned next? Slippery slope and whatnot, says Thomas. Well, Thomas, should we just show porn films in the classrooms too? that be okay? I mean, you tell me. Fairly certain you're not allowed to put a Playboy in the school library well, this, for good reason. Well, the passages I just read from that book that Casey sent us, I mean, they're text. I agree it's not graphic illustrations, but that exists as well. We've talked about that here on the program. That's been uncovered. We're out of time here today, back in the Element Well Studios uh, tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Talk Mississippi Media Production.